The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks, the fantasy baseball podcast. I'm Joe Galina. And I'm joined each and every week by my co-host, Scott Chu. How's it going there, Scott? Doing great. Doing great. It was my birthday week. I had a great week. Went to the the Tigers game on Tuesday, which was my birthday. Scooble was (laughs) pitching. Had an awesome time. Met this great family from St. Louis. It was Tigers Cardinals. Great family from St. Louis. Had a great chat with them. Sent uh, sent the kids some baseball cards. Should be getting them in the mail here pretty soon. He was a big Jack Flaherty guy. I had a Jack Flaherty auto that was just sitting in a box that I wow. didn't really care about. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, it's one of those things where I collect baseball cards not to like make money, but because I love them and I get a kick out of them. And there's certain ones that I just that are just sitting around for me mm-hmm. that another person would just get so much more out of. Especially like a Flaherty, right? Yeah, yeah. I know he's on the IL, but an ace. Yeah, and he's like, yeah, and he's great. But Mm -hmm. like, I have no particular attachment to him, right? right? He's just one pitcher who's good out Mm -hmm. of, you know, several. Yeah, well, I saw those pictures that you posted from the game. And uh, it's like you were on the field almost. (laughs) It was awesome. Never sat that close before. Front row, right behind the on-deck circle. Seeing the players like interact with fans right there. There's a couple kids that were even closer to the on-deck circle. And, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. a couple guys talked to him like Willie Castro, uh, Jamer Candelario would kind of like, you know, laugh at jokes they said, or kind of, kind of like, you know, just give them some response. You could see the kids light up. It was a lot of fun. Sure. Sure. Well, uh, glad a school will actually pitch pretty well for you. Right. That night. Nothing, nothing that'll blow you away, but he pitched well and Mm -hmm. I had a great view of it. Well, a uh, happy belated birthday to you. And uh, like I said, amazing seats that you had. Uh, I think you even had a picture of Miggy. You were right next to Miggy, right? Because you said you were close to the on-deck circle. Yeah, he gets a lot bigger the closer <laughs> you get to him. He's real big. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got some uh, big stats as well. So carries a big bat. So, uh, all right, let's get started. So it was, a, it was an exciting week. Uh, we finally got to see uh, Wanda Franco in action. Wanda Week, right? He made his debut for the Rays. Uh, started at third base because uh, uh, I guess the Rays thought enough of Taylor Walls to keep him in the lineup, and he was at short. But great debut for Franco. Double game-tying three-run home run. Uh, unfortunately, since then, 0 for 15, five strikeouts. That's heading into Sunday. And by the way, we're recording this podcast on Sunday 
June 27th, just about noon Eastern time. I mean, I, I guess we shouldn't have gotten too excited over his debut, although it kind of justified the fantasy managers who stashed him, you know, and justified us enamored with his his pedigree, his numbers, his minor league numbers. And, and we probably shouldn't get too down on him for being over over 15, again, based on his, his pedigree. But, you know, as per, you know, Yahoo lets you look at, you know, who players are being traded for. So he's been involved in a lot of uh, trades, which I was a little surprised of. Uh, some of them, you know, fair some of them a little silly but you know you had a, a wanda franco for tim anderson which you know in a redraft i, I think i'd still take tim anderson a, a wando frank a wanda franco for jeff mcneil uh, i mean basically how would you handle wanda franco at this stage i guess you know he's basically like buying stock right i mean you invested in him you stashed him and now you know you're kind of being able to value him at a point where maybe you could get something back for the long, long term. I mean, obviously in dynasty leagues, I'd hold on to him, but uh, what's your take? So I'll, I'll say this. I don't have very many leagues where I have him because someone was always just a little higher. I'm not always crazy about going for the prospects, especially in the draft room. And that's what you needed to do for Wander Franco. But the thing I'm doing where I have him, and the thing I would recommend doing if you have him is you're not shopping him. You're not like dangling him out as trade bait, even in redraft, but you are listening, right? Sometimes people will offer you something over the top. And I'm all for that, right? Like one of these trades was Wander Franco for Xander Bogertz. Give me Xander. Yeah. He's been fantastic, yeah. right? Like Wander might steal some more bases, but I mean, Xander's bankable, right? Same for Tim Anderson. Especially, redraft, like, especially, yeah. mm-hmm. especially if I need steals, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know Tim Anderson's going to run, right? right? Wander Franco will run, but I don't know how much. They're batting him second and third. Right. And mm-hmm. while he has, while he is over 15, he is taking walks and he's not striking out a ton. You know, his overall strikeout rate's not great, but the walk rate is also high. So I'm not, I'm not concerned at all about that. I mean, this is just going to be a thing where, uh, I mean, actually, no, the strikeout rate is pretty good 17.4% walk rate, 21.7% strikeout rate. He's not overmatched. He's just not getting stuff to fall right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is getting on base here and there. Nothing to worry about. I mean, it, it, you, you, drafted him as a big high upside play. When you do that, you don't you don't get rid of him after 5 games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? That's not that's not what that's not why you help. You didn't hold him for 5 games unless someone's offering you something really big, like mm-hmm. legitimate top 5 to 7 shortstop. Then sure, because that's what you wanted out of Franco anyway. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, like why why get rid of him? Like, I guess if you're like, oh, this might be the highest price he has, but it also might not be right. right? Like, what if he makes the adjustment very quickly? There's no reason he couldn't. He's been absolutely unbelievable. His hit tools off the charts. He's the kind of guy that can make these adjustments really quickly. So, uh, yeah, not shopping him. Mm-hmm. Hold um, again, unless someone offers you like top five to seven shortstop kind of value. Mm hmm. No, uh, I mentioned Taylor Walls earlier. Uh, he's currently on the IL with a wrist injury. So uh, Wanda Franco back to playing his natural position of shortstop. And you have uh, Joey Wendell uh, and Brandon Lowe playing second base. Uh, and Yandy Diaz playing some third base. So it doesn't look like Walls should be on the IL too long. But uh, we got uh, questions about, well, what do we do with uh, Vidal Brujan? Is he, you know, if I've been stashing him, 
should I be dropping him? I mean, the guy has uh, nine home runs, 14 stolen bases, but struggling a bit lately. I think the last I saw his batting average was about 248 uh, on the season. I think that was as of Saturday. So your recommendation, if someone had been stashing Vidal Brujan, uh, could they drop him? Or you think that, you know, the Rays might eventually call him up? Or at this point, is it maybe looking like maybe a September call up? Yeah, I don't play the guess what the Rays are going to do game because there are no winners except for the Rays, right? Like nobody knows what they're doing. But here's the thing. With Bruhan, you're holding him because he has speed and a good hit tool. Like that's what you're after. So if you're holding him because you know you need those steals and there's no one on the wire who might be able to give you those steals, you know, mm-hmm. there's not an Akil Badu because I'm not doing a podcast without talking about Akil Badu. Uh, and, and we'll talk about him again later, but if yes, there's like, yes. I, I would absolutely, you know, drop him instead of stashing in a redraft for an Akil Badu, um, you know, something like that, a guy who can run that's, that's doing it right now, you know, someone who's giving me what I need. And again, with Bruhan, what you need is speed. That's why mm-hmm. you're stashing him. So right. if you were just stashing him because you heard he was good, like go ahead and replace him. If there's someone on the wire that you find more exciting, right? Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I mean, he's not this guy you have to drop. You just, you know, again, I don't recommend in a redraft stashing, you know, 12-team redraft, I don't recommend stashing more than one guy unless Mm -hmm. it was like Wander Franco and someone else who's high-end. Right, right. But otherwise, you can keep stashing him if you want. You know, maybe your league has an NA spot where you can stash a minor leaguer. He's certainly fine there. Uh, Maybe you've got deep benches. That would be fine. Otherwise, I'm not putting a premium on Vidal Bruhan. I'm sort of like, if he's the best upside play for speed and I need speed. Okay, fine. If there mm-hmm. are other guys out there who have similar upside, but are in the major leagues right now, go get them instead. Right. Yeah, I just don't see Bruhan coming out and being this superstar game changer. He's a hit tool and speed guy. Mm-hmm. So who's the next guy that I, I know leading up to, to Franco, uh, his call up, you have been talking that, you know, he was definitely a stash and, and I agree with you in a 12 team or probably not wise to stash, more than one minor league, but you know, you have Duran uh, Duran and the Red Sox outfielder putting up some excellent numbers, 284 batting average and 13 home runs, 18, eight, not 18, eight stolen bases. Um, is he the kind of, you think like the next overall hot guy in, in, in baseball, hot hitter to stash? I mean, sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, <laughs> This is this is really hard to do. I'm not I'm not trying to be facetious here. It's that you know the prospecting is hard, right? Prospecting is hard for major league success where you can also count defense, you can count all these other things. Prospecting for uh fantasy success is even harder because it's not just that they need to like play good defense or show something. They need to show something at a high level and they need to you know sort of get a spot in the batting order that's worthwhile mm-hmm. that makes it possible to really contribute at this level right so i think most guys are are probably not like quite ready i'd be keeping my eye of course still on jared kelenic it was mm-hmm. a i know it was a rough stretch when he came up but i do think there's i mean there's still a lot of talent there i think that we could really see something special from him um you know other than that it's all about opportunity Who's going to get these opportunities? You know, the Tigers have some other guys. You know, Spencer Torkelson obviously is huge, but he just got to double A. He's probably not there until September. And I'm not holding guys if I think they only have a chance to come up in September. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the other thing is I'm, I'm not super interested in that. So 
obviously Franco was like, he was a different tier. You know, there's, there's not another prospect that is Wander Franco tier uh, this season. And I don't think there will be one for quite some time. Uh, mm-hmm. You just don't see like 75, 80 grade players coming through very often because behind him, you know, there was made like, there's guys like Adley Rutschman. He's, you know, obviously he's a, he's a talented catcher. I think he does have a chance. He's a highly regarded uh, prospect, but otherwise, you know, Marco Luciano, but I don't know if they really want to bring him up. He's probably more like a 2022, 2023 guy. Um, yeah. A lot of the players that are really highly regarded right now are in a bit lower levels right now. So mm-hmm. yeah, Bruhan is, is good. And if you want to stash somebody, go ahead. But mm-hmm. Franco was a guy someone had to stash mm-hmm. and Bruhan's more like a guy where there might be someone in your league with the potential to stash, right? Because their right. team is deep and they're not crushed by injuries and you know, they're not already using that bench spot for like an IL guy, right? Mm-hmm. Then sure. But again, he's hit tool and speed. He's not five category. And there's just, to me, not really a lot of that five category stuff right now, uh, except for maybe like a Kalanick getting recalled, mm-hmm. you know, Joe Adele, but he still has, you know, batting, you know, he still has like hit tool stuff he needs to work on, make sure he's not striking out. There's nothing nearly as obvious. Mm. I do like Jaron Duran. You look like I mentioned his numbers. The only thing too, the, to note with him is uh, he's part of team USA. So you got to wonder, I, I guess if the, if the Red Sox, want him in the major leagues i guess he would skip the olympics but you gotta wonder what he would want to do but i guess yeah he's a he's a red Sox. so that's the thing is hit and hitting well in the minors is really cool but it's mm-hmm. not the same like i cannot of stress course, this enough. Yes. even triple like i i i often have to stress this going from triple a to the majors is not easy right of no course. one was really hitting better than jesus sanchez mm-hmm. down in miami when he was in triple a he mm-hmm. was crushing right Nine home runs in 33 games, like a like a 1043 OPS in those 33 games in the minors. He's up and he's hit two home runs, and that's cool in 10 games. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. But he's hitting you know 250 and slugging 425. That's not a difference maker, right? right? Could he become one? Absolutely. But yeah. again, this is why stashing is is hard because yeah. how long do you hold a Jesus Sanchez? For right. me, in a lot of leagues. I'm probably ready to move on, not because I don't think he'll be good, but because I have an idea of what his upside is. It's like a 250, 260 hitter, especially with the way he strikes out in the majors because breaking balls are hard to hit. Mm -hmm. And there's good power, but not like, you know, until he really gets a hang on those, like a handle on those breaking balls, there's not this like obscene power, Right. right? So, and he's experienced. This is not his first time in the major leagues. He spent a long time in AAA. This stuff's hard. So mm-hmm. if you're going to hold a Bruhan, that's fine. But also know when you're going to cut bait and run. Right. Know right. what you're trying to get from this player. You don't want to just stash a guy and say, well, I want him because he'll be good. Like, good mm-hmm. how? What is it that you need? Right? If your need is power, stashing Vidal Bruhan is not going to help you. Right. There's not a lot of home runs coming. Right? So your mm-hmm. tolerance for who you hold and for how long is going to change based on what it is you need. Right. You might be willing to wait it out a little more with Jesus Sanchez because you're like, hey, look, maybe he turns it around and he's got prodigious power, no doubt about it. But with a Bruhan, it's like, well, you know, I already got a lot of steals. You know, mm-hmm. I drafted Whit Merrifield and he's doing way more than I ever thought. So what am I really holding Bruhan for? Maybe I can trade him for something. Maybe not, but he mm-hmm. no longer becomes a priority. Right, right. Yeah, and I like the 
word tolerance. It's accurate. And obviously it depends on the size of your league as well. I mean, if you're in a 15 teamer and you, you picked up Sanchez, I mean, it's only 10 games. So maybe you don't put him in your starting lineup, but you, you hold him for a little bit. But I, I could understand in shallower leagues, uh, you wanted to move on. But yeah, like I said, it's only 10 games. And, and just before we move off of Wanda Franco, because I know about your love for baseball cards, has his value of, of his cards gone up since he got called up? Does, is it, does that affect the value you know, of, of his cards currently? Absolutely. I mean, it, it impacts the demand for sure, right? Mm-hmm, and his demand mm-hmm. goes up. Uh, you know, cost can go up. Here's the thing, you know, two things about Wander Franco in the baseball card community. Number one, he was a blue chip before the season started, mm-hmm, sure. like an absolute blue chip. That first Bowman Chrome, those autos, like those, those weren't going to change prices very quickly. And if mm-hmm. they did, they'd bump up just because people were willing to spend a little more, mm-hmm. but also like the savvier buyers already knew that his call up would be a time when there would be a slight bump, not right. like a bump where it's probably worth like cashing out, but there's a bump, right? Because here's the other thing. To buy Wanda Franco cards, you're generally buying them from, you know, obviously they're, you're buying them from someone else who's already owned them, probably mm-hmm. graded, and they're probably not super crazy about selling right now. Right. So supply's limited, demand's probably high. It hasn't changed much. I, what I will say is don't, you know, don't expect to see his rookie card come out here in 2021. Uh, he was he had a Tops Now card come out, which are like the on-demand cards that come out every day from Tops. He mm-hmm. had to come out, and he had the call-up label on it instead of the rookie card. That means he's not coming out as a rookie card this year. His rookie card for the majors, that's going to be in series one next year, early next year. So that's, I mean, that's going to be a hot product, but you know, his existing cards, like demand has of course come up because you know, there are those people that are like, Oh yeah. Wander Franco, (laughs) which is weird to talk about for folks that are really into it. But some people are like, Oh yeah. Wander Franco. I want to get this guy. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, just because baseball, you know, baseball card, fandom and baseball card collectors are a similar but different group than fantasy folks right right right. especially with the way they value things you know it tends to be in the card world you're valuing power and you're valuing valuing premium teams which are like not because they're the best but because the most popular red Sox, yankees dodgers those guys usually get the premiums the rays not so much but franco transcends that with the type of prospect that he is um so it's gone up a little the demand is really high. It's you're really going to see some excitement about his cards next season when he mm-hmm. comes out in series one. Gotcha. And and does that lower the value of the cards previously issued? No, not really. No? I mean, okay. I'll say the one thing you should know is the tops rookie cards are valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bowman, the first Bowman. So Bowman is a is a uh, set that puts minor leaguers in their major league uniforms like kind of photoshops them into major league uniforms. That's cool. And it's like the, it's like the premium prospect product. The premium card is the first. So in the top left corner of the card, usually you'll see this first, like one ST. That means Mm -hmm. it's their first card from Bowman, right? Mm -hmm. It's really, and really it ends up being their first tops card, Mm -hmm. right? Because Bowman is owned by tops. That one carries a ton of value. The ones after that, they don't carry that same investment level value, but Mm -hmm they're still cool. Right. So like, if you just want the card because you love Wander Franco, that's a way to save money. It won't be that blue chip, but the nice thing will be when rookie cards start coming out, there's a ton of them. Like tops will put that rookie stamp on all of the sets that they do that year. Mm -hmm. So Franco will get a ton more cards 
they won't be the same value as that like first Bowman Chrome or maybe that like first tops flagships like series one series two that first auto uh that can be you know a bit of a premium product especially if you get like these you know low numbered ones where it's like out of 25 those are the peak and then you know there'll be other sets that come out that have the rookie card you know i've got a scuba rookie card in all kinds of different products mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so the nice thing about rookie cards is you just get more chances to get it even if the value isn't quite the same gotcha yeah when i was younger and, and collecting baseball cards you know, you could buy the box sets, you know, Tops would, would, would be the main company. And of course, then Fleer came out and, and other companies as well. But you buy the the set. And then I guess after the All-Star break, you'd, they would put out a Tops traded set. It was a, probably like 100 cards or so with the players who had been traded midseason, you know, in their new team's uniform, as well as any players that had been called up, you know, midseason. So I remember, you know, getting the tops traded set when Ken Griffey made his debut. So, uh, but then it ended up that, you know, it was like so many companies had been putting out cards at that point. So that tops traded wasn't as valuable as, you know, another company's card. But uh, I'm learning a lot from doing this podcast with you. And I'm probably going to end up starting to collect cards again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that thing's now called Tops Update. Yeah, and okay. Tops update is going to have rookie cards for guys that got called up early in the season so that Tops uh-huh. could make their cards. That's going to be like Akil Badu, uh, Jared Kalanick. Yeah. They'll be guys who are in Tops update probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, good stuff. So uh, obviously Juan DeFranco, a blue chip baseball player, right? Uh, big future. And uh, let's talk about a couple other blue chip uh, baseball players. Uh, Fernando Tatis has been on fire, you know, um, carrying fantasy teams on his back. Uh, Acuna is having a, a great year. Uh, Mookie Betts, eh, not so much. But uh, I wanted to focus a little bit on on Juan Soto, uh, who ha- hasn't been terrible, but certainly not producing uh, as a top three fantasy player that you invested in. Uh, in preseason drafts, uh, looking at in his first 63 games, a 273 batting average, eight home runs, 31 RBIs, three stolen bases, caught four times. So I don't know if he's going to be stealing too many bases going forward, but most projection models have Soto finishing with about uh, 25 to 26 home runs and RBI totals in the mid 80 range. And they expect him to hit 290 or so for the rest of the season. So uh, his expected numbers, though, they paint a, a much better picture of his season stats thus far. Uh, his X batting average, uh, 314, X slug, 514, and his actual slug is uh, 426. Well, what are your thoughts on Soto? Yeah, so the the slow start is going to impact the final numbers, right? Uh, he's been excellent through his 100 June plate appearances, right? So uh, you know, again, that, that slow start's going to make it tough for him to get to 30 home runs, but are you really counting him out in terms of hitting 30 home runs? Like the projections say 25. Is it that crazy to think that Juan Soto just has this like on fire two weeks where he hits like seven home runs in 14 games? I don't games? think it's crazy. No, <clears throat> it's not. It's possible. He's still, wa- <laughs> he's still walking more than he strikes out. If you're watching him, he still looks great at the plate. Um, you know, he missed a week to start the season, uh, although he kind of came out hitting well. Look, when you, when you, made that early round draft pick in Soto. Like some of it was because of the, you know, excellent stats you wanted, but it was also because there's a really strong floor, right? Like every player has a floor and you could see it at any time. 
And the beautiful thing about Soto is that floor is still really, really good, right? There's not a universe where he goes like Cody Bellinger on us and hits 220 with 20 home runs, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's not, that's not a part of Soto's game. He's always going to hit for a good average. Yeah, there is some bad luck there. The expected stats sort of show us that. But like, if this is the worst batting average we see from Juan Soto, and it's 273 mm-hmm. with a 397 OBP, that's what it is right now. Like, if is that the floor? If so, like, give me that all day long. You know, I, I'm not so concerned about the steals. Those were always sort of just like gravy, you know, mm-hmm. like. He stole six of them last year for whatever reason. He had 12 in 2019. Like, it's cool. He runs a little. He might get to 10. But that's not why I, I took Juan Soto. Those, those you know, 10 steals didn't really move the needle. What moves the needle is his elite plate discipline, his ability to make excellent contact all the time, and he's in what might be, like, the worst luck he'll ever have, and he's still hitting 273 with a 397 OBP. Mm-hmm. Like, it's brilliant. He's brilliant. And all this is, is like, oh, look, he has a floor. That's all we know now. He has a floor. <laughs> right. And, and if this is it, like you said, you know, we're, okay. One we're of doing the best okay. floors in baseball. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. All right. So, um, you know, we as a site get a lot of uh, start sit questions. And I was reading some of the recently, and, and, and someone had asked a, a start sit about whether or not they should start Julio Urias against the Cubs based on his recent struggles and the Dodgers recent offensive struggles. And someone said, Hey, you know, start your studs. Now, I don't know if that really applies that much to Julio Urias, who's a very, very good pitcher, but uh, you know, it it got me to thinking, you know, like, you know, start your studs as as a strategy to use, but when is it best to employ that? And, you know, is it, ever best to use it exclusively or you know should we be looking more to the streaming option i mean you know streaming is 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 a big part of baseball we've talked about how you can almost stream almost any position of baseball these days yeah you can and and really what you're thinking about this like start your studs versus stream with pitchers it's sort of one thing and, and it's similar concept with pitchers it's just like at a certain point you know uh, I'll use the obvious extreme example, like Jacob deGrom. There's no such thing as a bad matchup for a player that's that good, right? Mm-hmm. A Juan Soto. There's no such thing as benching Juan Soto there, because he's too good, right? Like there's, there's not a guy in your bench who you're like, oh, he might be better than Juan Soto today. Mm-hmm. Like that's a heck of a bold call, right? That someone's <laughs> going to be better than Juan Soto today, right? Like that's, that's really tough. When it starts getting a little tougher, when you've got a, a stud, so to speak, who's really been struggling, who's way, you know, way below what you were hoping for. Um, you know, Mookie Betts is not an example of, the, of this for me, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, like hasn't been a great season, but again, day to day, who is better? Like who is better than Mookie Betts? Like if you had to, you know, if I told you someone got a combo meal, a home run and a steal, like where, and you had to guess who it was. And I gave you no other information. Like Mookie Betts is one of the guesses, mm-hmm. right? So, I think you kind of have to we start with hitting specifically starting your studs. Like it, it's obvious, right? Like, yes, start your studs, whatever. The question's always going to be, okay, if you're not going to start him, who are you replacing him with? What's the upside of that player? Right. Especially if you're thinking like just for a week, right. Which is fine. Like you can do that. You can look at a guy who maybe has been struggling for you a bit, not doing exactly what you had hoped they would do. Um, I'm thinking like, you know, Paul Goldschmidt has not been great 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's hitting 253. He does have 11 home runs and five steals, which is nice. The plate discipline's okay, but he's like hitting 253, uh, 418 batting average, but or 418 slugging. But then the question, of course, becomes, then what? Right? Okay, so you want to bench him? That's fine. For what? What kind of first baseman are you talking here? What are their matchups? Right? So streaming, just like it is with pitching, is a very matchup dependent concept. Right? Mm-hmm. You need to be wondering, like, okay, if I'm streaming him, it's because I've got a very, very good matchup for someone else that that's available. You know, for example, it's a guy who, you know, the easy one is like going to Colorado for Mm -hmm. a series, right? So like, you know, I know that here on the notes, there was a question about, um, there was Brendan Rogers versus Dansby Swanson. Yep. Dansby Swanson isn't quite a stud, but you definitely drafted him to be your starter, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, he's been fine. Not great. Brendan Rogers started slow, got hurt, came back. He's been pretty good. So you're like, oh, well, you know, coming into the season and with all the projections, it's like Dansby Swanson for sure. Until you look at that schedule, right? Mm -hmm. This week, it's Colorado at home getting the Pirates and the Cardinals. Not a lot of strong pitching there. Mm -hmm. Brendan Rodgers playing mostly every day right now. Again, at home versus Dansby Swanson, who isn't playing in cores, and he gets the Mets and Marlins, who pitch much better than the Pirates and the Cardinals, Mm -hmm. right? So. that's a good example of like, yeah, Dansby Swanson's the more like, you know, he plays every day. Like there's no way he really sits this week and the projections were better whatever. But like that wasn't enough to offset the incredible schedule advantage that Brendan Rogers has. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not like Brendan Rogers hits ninth. So those are the things that I'm thinking about when it's like, okay, this guy is a guy that is supposed to be just like plug and play. I wasn't supposed to worry about him. But he's been fine. You know, he's only hitting like 230, 240, whatever. He is hitting home runs, getting some stolen bases. And he might be better than Brendan Rodgers for the rest of the season. But as we've talked about, I'm not thinking about rest of season for this week, Mm -hmm. right? Like, are there times I need to think about for rest of season? Of course. But with like in a 12-teamer, Dansby Swanson, Brendan Rodgers, that's not a rest of season discussion, really. Like, you can absolutely think about it just this week. And Dansby Swanson can hit the bench. Right. Right. Like you don't have to cut him. You could, I wouldn't hate it, but like he can hit the bench because Brendan Rogers this week looks a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. And I'll worry about next week, next week. Right. Like there's a lot of tools out there. ESPN's fantasy forecaster is a really good one. Just look at those matchups. Who's coming up. You don't necessarily have to agree with the ratings that they give. Like, Oh, righties are only a four this week and you might disagree. That's fine. Just see who they're playing. What pitchers are they facing? Brendan Rodgers, that's a cake schedule. Colorado is an awesome schedule. So like some of my back-end outfielders, if there's an outfielder out on the wire that's going to play most of the week for the Rockies, I'm trying to add him. Mm-hmm. And then I'll, you know, I'll cut him when the homestand ends. But, you know, so long story short, like start your studs. Like, yeah, to an extent, right? Like I, I can't think of a situation where I'm ben- benching Anthony Rizzo, mm-hmm. right? Even Goldschmidt, like I'm not benching the guy. Like I'm mildly disappointed. But I can't bench him because there's probably not a player out there, unless I'm in a very shallow league, that gives me that kind of upside. Uh, and batting right next to Nolan Arenado in the middle of a lineup that's not bad, right? Um, the Cardinals score more runs than they probably should most of the time. So, like, those guys, you just keep them. Mm-hmm. And, but eventually you're going to get to a point where, are they really a stud? And I thought you called it out pretty well. Like, like Julio Urias, is he a stud? Like, pretty close, mm-hmm. right? He's just been very good. But you start the further down that list you go, you're like, if you're questioning, is this guy a stud? Then you've sort of opened the door to, can I stream better than that this week? 
Mm-hmm. And what if I let him go? Is he the best player by a wide margin on the wire? I don't mind cutting the best short. If I have Dansby Swanson and I need to cut him because Brandon Rogers is out there, Dansby Swanson might be the best shortstop on the wire, but it's not going to be by a wide margin, right? I'm not cutting like a top 10 must start shortstop in a Yahoo league where you don't even have a middle infielder. Dansby Swanson can hit the wire. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. I'm a lot more interested than like this week, Brendan Rogers. And then next week I'll worry about it. You know, I'll worry about it elsewhere. Right. Um, maybe I pick Dansby Swanson back up because like newsflash, your league mates aren't going to be chomping at the bit, like trying to outbid each other on Dansby Swanson in a 12 teamer. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. 15 teamer. What, what a stud means changes, right? Sure. Yeah. A guy that plays every day that has decent numbers, like a Dansby Swanson becomes a guy that you just have to hold because he plays every day. He has decent numbers, a little bit of power, a little bit of speed. Got to hold him. But especially in a 12 teamer, that definition of stud, that's like top, you know, for a position, it's like top 12 to 15. And then mm-hmm. beyond that, you can really start hemming and hawing. Right. And then, you know, for outfield, it's like top, you know, once you get past like the top 40, it's like, you know, even, even into the top, like the late top thirties, it's like, well, <laughs> how, you know, is that the upside? I'm not sure. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they've been, you know, whatever, like Justin Upton's right on that border. I like mm-hmm. Justin Upton a lot, but if this sounds like, like if this ends up being a long-term injury for Justin Upton, you know, with his back problems, how long do I want to hold off that IL spot? Is he a stud? He was, but that can yeah. change real fast. Yeah. We talked about it, especially since he started uh, leading off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He'd been doing that, but like that can change quick. You, you, especially in a 12 team league, you do not need to be overly loyal here. Mm-hmm. The, I, I promise you the players won't know. They'll forgive you. Right, because they'll never know. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, and uh, you could even take it to a more uh, micro level, like when you talk about uh, Rogers and and Dansby Swanson. I mean, Rogers has been killing left-handed pitching, that three sixty batting average with an eight hundred slug. Uh, so you know, the, in leagues where you change the lineups every day. I mean, it's possible that you could even have Swanson and Rogers on the same team. You could have drafted Swanson and then later on picked up Rogers as a, as a, as a waiver wire pickup. So, uh, but you mentioned a couple of guys, I think you mentioned Rizzo and you definitely mentioned Goldschmidt. And we did get a question in uh, about uh, rest of season. I, I guess this person is trying to upgrade their first base spot. So they're asking, you know, who would be the best investment for them whether it be an Anthony Rizzo, Paul Goldschmidt, Jose Abreu, and Reese Hoskins. And interestingly enough, these very similar players, and they are uh, playing below what you'd expect from them. Uh, you got uh, Rizzo, who's a 250 batting average, is 20 points lower than his career average, 10 homers, 32 RBI, and four stolen bases. And uh, his... Uh, splits, which is interesting that this hasn't happened to him before against right hand, the pitching only batting 217. Uh, and uh, Goldschmidt, I think you covered him pr- pretty good. Uh, got off to a terrible start, uh, but uh, in 23 games in June, batting 288 with five home runs and two stolen bases. Now, this guy, I you know, I've been drafting him for years because he was always, in my opinion, undervalued, and you can get him later in drafts, but. That wasn't the case this year, but Jose Abreu, he's really struggling. This is unlike him. The guy, 291 lifetime batting average, batting 239 over his first 71 games, 
good RBI production, 53, but his expected stats pretty much on target with his actual stats and uh, been slumping especially badly uh, for the past month, batting 183. And Reese Hoskins, you know, a lot of power. You'd always forgiven his low batting average because of his on-base percentage, really good in OBP leagues uh, with a 357 career OBP, but just 304 so far this season. So uh, I know it threw a lot out there, but uh, is there one of these guys that you feel more comfortable in rostering for the rest of the season? Well, I mean, I think the first thing to say is like, you should feel very comfortable with all four. Like if mm-hmm. you've got one of these four, like I'm about to nitpick a little, but you should be, you should feel very confident in all these. Like these are all top 10, maybe even like top seven, top eight first baseman rest of the way. If you're mm-hmm. trying to project out, right? Like these are really good players. Rizzo, for example, you know, you called out the, the point that he's not hitting righties. Well, to me, uh, you know, splits are super noisy. They're fun and, mm-hmm. and they're very interesting. But for a player like Rizzo, I'm not super concerned about them. Uh, he has a very, very long track record of being very good. His plate discipline yes. is still excellent. Still mm-hmm. hitting in the middle of a lineup that's been hitting better than I thought they would, quite frankly, uh, with the sort of resurgence of Chris Bryant and all that. So he's probably the one that I have highest on my list. But these guys are all, again, like if I was to rank them all right now, they're these are all falling between like 5 and 10 or 5 and 11, right? So I probably rank them Rizzo. Goldschmidt, Abreu, Hoskins. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Rizzo, I feel the most comfortable with. Uh, he's just been so consistent for so long. We've seen him have like little rough stretches just to like then explode later yeah. in the season. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt second, just because I know he has very strong plate discipline. He's hitting in the middle of this lineup where he's also getting, you know, all these guys are getting plenty of RBI. Uh, Goldschmidt, just a very good player. And he steals bases, which is something these other guys really don't do. Mm-hmm. Jose Abreu, after that, a little troubling to see him hitting the ball on the ground a bit more than he had before. But otherwise, um, I think he can fix that. He's, you know, he's a very, very well-disciplined hitter. Uh, it's not like he's striking out a whole lot more than ever before. He's just not getting the ball in the air as much as he should, mm-hmm. right? Which, you know, if a player, we're about halfway through the season. So, you know, it's a little troubling, but that doesn't mean he can't make a correction. Mm-hmm. Right? Any of these guys can make a correction and the players most likely to make a correction are guys like Jose Abreu who have excellent back control, real good idea of where the zone is. He can make those changes. And then Reese Hoskins is the last one. He's the most likely of these guys to like hit 35 home runs in yes. a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also he's like the most likely to hit below 240. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he's kind of like, he's really good, but he's sort of like the, you know what you're getting with him. He's kind of doing exactly what we thought he'd be doing. Mm-hmm. This season, he's got, you know, plenty of home runs. You know, he's got 16 home runs. He's, you know, the batting average is 230. It's not great. But, you know, obviously, he's still a very, very good first baseman, right? So, all these guys, very strong, but I do rank him that order. Rizzo, mm-hmm. Goldschmidt, Abreu, Hoskins. Gotcha. Okay. Good analysis. I agree with you. And this is the portion of the podcast where you get to talk about Akil Badu because someone asked who should they pick uh, to keep in a 12 team head to head redraft. And they mentioned Justin Upton and, and you mentioned earlier correctly that he's on the IL with a lower back strain. And you spoke a little bit about Jesus Sanchez, two home runs, five RBI, 250 batting average in his first 10 games. Alex Kirilov, who's Multi-position eligible, first base and outfield. He's been coming on, got off to a, a real slow start, batted 167 in April, 
uh, spent some time on the IL, but uh, since April overall, batting 282, has six home runs and 26 RBI in his first 42 seasons. And Badu, Badu has been tearing it up of late. Uh, he's, uh, I'm looking at his, his last 30 games, batting 355, 479 OBP, 513 slug. There's a stage for you. Yeah, so going into <laughs> Saturday's games from May 1st to June 25th, Akil Badu had the highest on base percentage of any hitter with at least 100 plate appearances by like 20 points. Wow. Unbelievable. Like, mm-hmm. I, you all pro- probably thought I was nuts talking about him in like early mid May when Shelly was on, got yeah, a one prospect that. to watch. Yeah. And I was like, Akil Badu, was I being mm-hmm. a fanboy? Yes. Like, that's real. But, he has done things that I just cannot believe. Like he had good plate discipline in the minors, but to make the change that he did going from striking out 40% of the time in April to from May 1st on striking out 20% of the time with a 20% walk rate. That's insane. That's Mm -hmm. unbelievable change for a player uh, who wasn't even getting every day at bats. So, you know, I'm going to pick Akil Badu here with one caveat, right? So give me Badu, the changes he's made. God, they look good. It's so it's so hard to, you know, not just sing his praises constantly. That kind of, we talk about how hard it is to make adjustments every show. It's really hard to make adjustments at the major league, especially for players who never played in double A or above. Mm-hmm. Right. And we talk about Juan Soto being one of these exceptions who was in double A for like two weeks and then you're one week and then like made it up. But what he's done is incredible. And I, I really believe that there's more here that's like that power hasn't been there. The speed has been power hasn't been there. He's moved up in the lineup. He's hitting close. He's in the top half of the order now. Um, I know that when I was there on Tuesday, he hit fifth. He's hit first a couple of games. Um, he's not sitting against every lefty anymore. So mm-hmm. he's not sitting more than like once a week because they can't, they can't sit this kid anymore. So he's probably my pick unless you don't need speed. Mm-hmm. If you have no need for speed, I think you then go with Alex Kirilov. Kirloff has an excellent hit tool. He's he's the one of all these players who I'd probably project for the highest batting average rest of the season. He really could hit 280 the rest of the way. Badu could as well, and he certainly has for quite some time. But, you know, like Kirilov is widely regarded for his hit tool, you know, coming up. So I, I do think that's where there's more power and a bit more hit tool. But, you know, most of us do need speed to some degree, and Kirilov ain't got it. Mm-hmm, you know, he's mm-hmm. not stealing you bases, not in any meaningful way. Badu really could. So it's one of those two. It's Badu or Kirilov. If you have absolutely no need for speed, then I guess I could see you taking Kirilov. Uh, if you have any need for speed, I'm probably taking a kill Badu. But both mm-hmm. of them are, are definitely worth having in a 12-team head-to-head format or really just any 12-team format, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Real quick, like Justin Upton, we got to find out more about this back injury. How long is that going to stick around? Jesus Sanchez in a 12-teamer, he's real fringy. Yes, there's power upside, but there's a lot of guys with power upside on a 12-team waiver wire, so you probably don't need to hold him. And then Daz Cameron, really enjoying what he's doing, but there's going to be hit tool problems, and he's mainly just a speed guy. Mm -hmm. So basically, he's sort of like this budget version of Akil Badu. So in a 15-teamer, if you didn't get Badu, I don't mind you going for Cameron. He's not playing quite every day, but he is a good defender, so he will play enough. He's got speed. There's not as much power here. There's not as much play discipline and hit tool, but you know, there will be speed. So at least you can go after that. Is he worth an ad in a 12 or a 15 teamer? Daz Cameron? 15. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because anyone Mm -hmm. who steals bases is probably worth one in a 15 In a Mm -hmm. 12. 
uh, you'd have to be in a real rough spot in your outfield, really mm-hmm. crushed by injury then maybe, but I'd be surprised if there wasn't a more attractive option mm-hmm. on your wire. Who's got more probably consistent playing time or maybe more speed upside, like a mile straw, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. He's um, been coming on lately. Straw. Yeah, he, he has. And I mean, a lot of people who drafted him early have probably cut him. Yes. Maybe he's been picked up again already in your league, but I'm probably looking at some of those guys first before Daz. If I'm taking Daz, I'm doing it very much knowing that um, with the moment he slows down and he has like a week where he hits 200, I'm probably moving on. Mm-hmm. Not because he's always going to hit 200, but just because his upside is not so great that it's better than the other guys on your wire. Gotcha. Okay. So let, let's finish up with uh, a trade question. So often when someone's in the middle of making a trade, they reach out, ask you for opinions on who got the better of the deal. So we've got uh, side A, J.D. Martinez and Craig Kimbrell. Side B, Jesse Winker. Uh, and just an aside, Jesse Winker, uh, right hip contusion. Went not sure at this point. Uh, how serious that is, if he's going to be put on the IL or, or how much time he's going to miss. Again, we're recording this on Sunday, June 27th, just about noon. And so uh, side B is Jesse Winker and Araldis Chapman. So which side of this trade, you know, I know it's a little difficult now because of the questionable uh, playing time with the Winker with a possible injury, but uh, which side do you like? Yeah, so this is really interesting. And, and just for the spirit of the question, let's pretend Winker's fine. Okay. Yeah. That he's missing a uh, an insignificant number of games, mm-hmm. which to me would be like 10. If he's going to miss only 10 games, I'm probably not that concerned. Mm-hmm. I like what I like about this trade. And, and one of the reasons I like that you put it on the show is that it's a good way to, to swap risk, right? Mm-hmm. Winker is risk. He's never hit like this before. He's been fantastic. But the little bit of injury risk that we just added, uh, even if we sort of admit he'll, you know, what if he only misses 10 games? There's definitely risk there. He's never done this for an extended period of time, so he might not. J.D. Martinez, he's done what he's doing for long times before. Sure. Right? All the time. So you're taking on risk there. But what you're swapping it for is probably a safer closer, right? So Kimbrell, unbelievable this season. Just, Just absolutely putting a nail in the coffin at the end of every game for the Cubs right now. But let's not forget 2019 to 2020, where he was terrible. Mm Mm-hmm where it looked like they had to start considering like letting this guy go, right? He was that bad. So has he been excellent? Yes, just like Winker. But recent history suggests that like, oh, maybe he's not like, is this sustainable for the rest of the season? We know Chapman, what he does. I mean, like as long as he's playing, he's still throwing hundred miles an hour from the left side Mm -hmm. doing nasty things, right? So that's a really safe closer on a team that, you know, if there's a team where the bottom's going to fall out, it's probably the Cubs, Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been overperforming what they're doing. Their pitching is not great. Uh, it, it's hard to see them really keeping this up for an extended period of time. Now, they might try, but, you know, he's got, you know, Kimbrell's got like 20 saves right now. But what if there's only 10 more rest of the way? Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas Chapman plays for a better team with the Yankees, a team who I do think is going to really like continue to win games and compete. So more saves, better, you know, basically a, a better uh, recent track record. So that's really what the trade is for. Right. Like I'm going to, if you're the side that's getting Winker and Chapman, you're giving up J.D. Martinez and Craig Kimbrell. You're saying, look, mm-hmm. I've got a guy who's been really good at closing games um, and there's risk for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I'm giving up Kimbrell because I want Winker, right? Uh, Winker is, you know, there's risk there too, but it's mm-hmm. hitting risk and not relieving risk. 
Right. And each side's getting the safe piece, the JD Martinez, the year oldest Chapman. I love this kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, could you argue, well, what if you could get more? One of the reasons I'm not talking about that is because someone always says that every trade, someone says you could have gotten more. And it's like, yeah, in a vacuum, but no one trades in a vacuum. And I will generally assume that people tried to get more and didn't. Right. So this trade, I love this trade. I like it for both sides uh, because they're clearly trying to swap risk. Mm-hmm. I want my hitting risk and I want to turn it into relieving risk. Right. Um, so, you know, the, the other question I was asked is like, is there a reason to do this? That's what it is. It's because you want to mm-hmm. trade risk. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do this. I don't necessarily think this makes either team better, but I'd have to look at the standings as well. Right. Right. Like, you know, does, you know, the side that's, that's, uh, you know, maybe the side that's giving up JD Martinez to get Winker, maybe they really believe in Winker and that he can keep doing what he's doing. And, you know, they're not so confident that, uh, Kimbrell, the guy they have is going to keep doing what he's doing. So then it makes sense. It's very contextual, but that's why you do a trade like this. It's to swap risk. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find that that's a little easier to do. Like people don't just trade superstar for superstar, right? It doesn't make sense. But what does make sense is swapping risk. So like, oh, I've got a risk at hitter who's been really good, but I'll, I'll trade him for a starting pitcher. Someone might not want to give me a fully established one, but what if they want to give me one who's been good, but is risky? Mm-hmm. People will make that swap. So like, uh, if you've got like a high end outfielder who's who's been really good but is risky, right? Because maybe something in their plate, like in their plate discipline, plate discipline profile or something like that, like a Randy or Rosarena, and you want to try to flip that for oh I don't know a guy like a Corbin Burns who has seen his spin rate come down. Obviously, there's like Goo Gate or whatever where he can't use the sticky stuff, but he's still been good. People are gonna want to trade that risk. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good idea, something to explore. So if that's what you need to do. And you're like, Hey, look, I'm fine on pitching. If I don't get Corbin Burns, like if I get rid of Corbin Burns, I'll still be okay. But I just don't have hitting, uh, you know, I need power and speed. Let's, let's make that offer. See what happens. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily, necessarily saying it will work, but that's what you can try to do. Take something where, yeah, this guy's risky, but so is your guy. So you're not just both like saying, well, I'm giving you a safe piece and you're giving me a risky one. Make it risky on both sides. I think you'll find that these other, you know, the other managers in your league are receptive to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to say, uh, I love your analysis. And yes, Kimbrel, based on his recent history, is the riskier of the two between him and Aroldis Chapman. But uh, it's very kind of you to call the Yankees a good team, basically, since your Tigers swept us a few weeks ago but also Chapman going through a little bit of a rough patch now but look you know his his history tells it tells you it's just a little blip but I have to say in his last seven appearances 11.81 ERA and like probably 90 percent of the pitchers today since they started checking for sticky stuff his numbers have gone down you know so we'll, we'll see <laughs> yeah I mean how much sticky stuff do you need when you throw 100 Right. So, and I just got to make sure you don't hit someone in the head with it. Right. That's the case. (laughs) Like, let's be clear. His, his ERA right now of 2.54, that's with that game against the twins where he gave Uh up two home runs, four earned runs in zero innings. Like he didn't even get an out, right. He gave up four (laughs) runs, no outs and it bumped his ERA to 2.5. Right. Right. So like, yes, he is going through a bit of a rough patch, but like, how rough is it really? Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. You know, compared no. to what he's done, because you know that he can go on these long stretches where, I mean, sure. just like to start the season, 
Like in April, it's amazing. Yeah. In April, he gave up zero runs and had like a bazillion strikeouts. So like Mm -hmm. that's, that's the upside there. Um, I mean, I, if you just look at draft day, like we all ranked our oldest Chapman well above Craig Mm -hmm. Kimbrell. Oh yes. Craig Kimbrell has somehow cut out the home run problem he'd been facing entirely. And you really wonder like, is it good? Is it good fortune on the home runs? Or is it like a real change? I haven't dug enough to to find out, but like, if mm-hmm. you're like, I think the home runs are going to come, then he's going to stop being an elite closer in a hurry. Yep. Right. His, yep. his strikeout upside is nothing like Chapman's. Um, and you know, like the, the Cubs are, I and mean, both teams are desperate, but like the Cubs, if things start falling out, they could also try to move him. And I'm not sure he'd be a closer. You know, lots yeah, of things to think that's about. That's a good point. Yeah. But you know, I wouldn't think too hard about it. Again, I, I do think what's happening here is you're trading future risk because mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. what you have in JD Martinez. You know what you have in a role as Chapman, but right. with Winker and Kimbrell, there's questions. Right. So you're swapping right. them. Yep. But you know, you wouldn't just do Winker for Kimbrell, right? Like that doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't need to trade a player who's been that good unless we find out the injury is worse than it appears right now. But right. Like, you know, packaging them together like this does make a lot of sense. Very good. So that's about all we have for today. I want you to enjoy uh, Tariq Skubal's uh, start today. Uh, hopefully, it's a good one for you. And uh, well, they're all one... good because he's yeah. there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, and I do roster him uh, on one of my teams, so I'll be rooting for him as well. And I uh, want to thank each and every one of you for allowing us to visit with you. We hope uh, that you were informed and entertained because that's our goal. You could follow me at Joe Galena. Follow Scott. At if the chew fits, follow the podcast at Hacks and Jacks PL. And if you follow at Pitcher List Pods, you'll be informed anytime a new episode drops for any of the numerous great podcasts on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. And I wanted you to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a, a nice review if you don't mind. And as always, we hope that all of your fantasies become realities. And I want you to have a great week. And hey, if you love baseball cards, I can talk to them talk about them a little bit there's a great podcast called local card pod that's done by prospects live and a guy named joe lowry he's the best card mind i've ever seen so if you want to hear more about baseball cards and you don't just want to hear me ramble in the middle of a regular pod go check it out local card pod through prospects live awesome i'll be listening because i need to learn a little bit more i'm a little out of the the loop in this stuff so joe will teach you there you go (laughs) all right see you all next time